Well, good morning, everybody. You're really missing out if you don't come out to Wednesday night meeting. You really are. I have greatly enjoyed our study through the book of Acts. Amen. It has been really... <laughs> most of the weeks. <laughs> Actually, it's been really good because Ricky has uh, gotten the habit of uh, bringing refreshments. And so normally we would just have the Bible study and we go home. But now everybody sticks around and has refreshments. So, no, it's, it's been really good because... It, it just really gives you a, a, a beautiful, you know, when the title of the book of Acts is, it says the Acts of the Apostles, that's really not true. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit guides and directs. And <clears throat> two individuals in the book of Acts that I've been studying um, just have really spoken to me as far as how my life should be. Uh, we'll start with one, and if we have time, we'll do the other one. Uh, the first one, uh, talking up in Acts chapter 6. If you can turn with me to Acts chapter 6, and beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, and verse 1. It says, And in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out amongst you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. We'll stop right there. Generally, when we think about the seven people, men that were chosen, we always kind of key in or focus in on Stephen, and rightly so. He was a godly man. He knew the scriptures very well, as we read in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7, just a, 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 an outstanding uh, display of scripture uh, from the whole history of the, of the Jewish nation. But the one I want to talk about this morning is the, other, the second one that's mentioned, and that is Philip. Um, you know, <clears throat> when we first read about this, we, we see how that the Lord has greatly blessed the church there in Jerusalem. I mean, people were getting saved and growing in the Lord, and it was exciting Actually, it's just like what we're experiencing here at Claremont for the last couple of years. We've seen a growth, not, not only in the little ones, <laughs> but we've seen people coming to know the Lord. We're seeing people getting baptized. We're seeing people uh, growing in the Lord, going out and witnessing. 
I mean, that's what we're going to see tonight. I'm looking forward to tonight. I hope you guys all come out to see what the Lord did with our people down in Mexico. It's going to be amazing. And, but anytime you have that, you also have the, that person who is the enemy of us, who wants to get in and destroy that fellowship, that growth. So Satan has a strategy. You know, <clears throat> he wants to destroy. I can remember Joe Reese making this statement. It kind of really got to me. And he said, every moment, every day, excuse me, every day that you wake up, you need to think in your mind, today is the day that Satan wants to destroy me and to destroy this assembly. And you won't be too far from the truth. Because that's what his, his purpose is. That's what his goal is, is to destroy this fellowship and to destroy us and our, and our testimony. We see this in the book of Acts. That's why this book of Acts is so important to study. That's why you got to come out Wednesday night, even though it might rain. <laughs> even though the next day, oh, by the way, tonight is just the preamble of uh, getting your stomach ready for the rest of the week, right? We're going to have a big meal tonight and then you know, Thursday and you know how that is. So in the book of Acts, we see in chapters 4 and 6 and 7, we see one of Satan's strategies that is through persecution. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul is telling the, the, uh, the saints at Corinth, he said, we're not ignorant of his devices. In other words, we, we know how Satan operates. And all you have to do is read the book of Acts and you find it out. He, did, he comes in one way, and then when that finally gets shut off, he comes another way. And so verses six of, uh, chapters of Acts 4, 6, and 7, it's through persecution. We see that in Peter and John. They got thrown into prison. And then we see Stephen uh, and uh, how he was brought before, and then they took him out and stoned him. But then in chapter 5 of Acts, we see it's through individual sin. Now, here's the thing that really is deceptive to all of us, because I know it's deceptive to me. That if I harbor sin in my heart, and I don't think anybody knows about it, I'm deceiving myself. Remember this the uh, incident in the Old Testament, a guy named Achan? He stole, he was told, they were told not to take anything when they uh, went after Jericho, when they defeated Jericho, they said, don't touch anything. Leave it all alone. Well, he saw this beautiful garment. And you think, oh, come on. Well, the thing is, for 40 years, <laughs> you know, he had been wearing the same set of clothes, right? In the desert, I mean, in the wilderness, and then all of a sudden he sees this brand new set of clothes. I mean, beautiful stuff. And then he saw all this gold and, and silver. And he saw all these things that he had never had. And so he took them and then he, he hid them. And he thought no one else knew. 
But of course, the one thing that we read about, Numbers 32, 20, uh, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, and you say, well, that only applies to Christians or not. No, it applies to any situation in government, in, in business. It doesn't matter. Be sure your sin will find you out. And so we see in chapter 5 of Acts, it's Ananias and Sapphira. They came before the apostles and they brought what they said was all of their, the money, the proceeds from the selling of their property, and uh, it was not true. Now, could they, could they have only given half of it and been okay? Yes, but when you project that you've given it all, you're lying, you're deceiving. And, of course, we know what happened. Through that, they were struck dead right on the spot. But then, in Acts chapter 20, let's take a look at that one. Acts chapter 20. And... Uh, we'll start at verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came unto uh, Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from the house and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. Saving the Holy Spirit, save that the Holy Spirit witnessed witness in every city, saying that, that bonds and afflictions abide, uh, abide me, but none of these things move me. And now verse down to 25, And behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. And then verse 28, Take heed therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So there's always that situation where people um, arise and want to push one particular doctrine or teaching, and it results in the scattering of the flock. You know, I was asked one time, <clears throat> what is the work or the responsibility of an elder? And my response to that individual was, I believe that one of the most important responsibilities of an elder 
is to protect the people of God from anything or anybody who would seek to divide the saints. I am very key on that. And I know that the other elders are also. We're very sensitive in that area. Because we don't want to see the unity of this church destroyed. And so what causes that? Well, in Proverbs 13.10, it says, only by pride comes contention. So if in any gathering of God's people, if there's friction, contention, you can absolutely guarantee, because the Bible says so, there's pride involved in that somewhere. And someone says, okay, well, what's pride? Well, I came across this definition, which I really like. Pride is thinking that you are more important than you really are. You like that? Pride is thinking that you're more important than you really are. You know, when I, in my, my Bible study with, uh, with Nathan, and he really wants to be here. He's got to work. And he says, oh, Dave, he says, I would so much like to be here Sunday morning. We meet together on Thursday. And uh, it's, just, it's just so refreshing to see someone who's brandly, brand new saved and their incredible hunger for God's word and seeing them grow. I mean, he has a notebook that embarrasses me. I mean, his own writing. He's got page after page after page of the notes that he takes when he reads God's word. It puts me to shame. And so pray for Nathan, because Satan would like to sift him like wheat, like the Lord said about Peter. But if we can take a look at um, Isaiah, and this is what I shared with Nathan, because Nathan didn't know you know, he said, where did Satan come from? And so we, I turned, we turned to Isaiah chapter 14. <clears throat> and this is where pride takes its root. Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll start at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which thou which did, didst weaken the nations? For thou said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my, uh, my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. It's obviously that a person that has pride has I problems. I this, I that. So the thing is that pride is the secret to division. It's the secret to division in this assembly. It's got to be avoided at all cost. So what's the antidote? 
Well, it's humility. I came up, I found this other, now none of this, I wish, I wish I was smart enough to come up with these definitions, but someone, someone came up with them. But humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Because if you think too much of yourself, you're gonna, it's going to lead to depression and, of course, as well as pride. But humility is the secret to fellowship. Pride is the secret to division. Talking about humility, I came across this. It was really, really interesting. George Washington was once chided or rebuked by one of his soldiers for doing a particular lowly uh, task because of his high rank. And George Washington responded to the, his soldier. He said, no, I'm just the right size. Because he was willing to be humble. Romans 12, 9 to 16 says, let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints. That's what we see with, with um, um, Philip. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing, excuse me, rejoicing with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. See, serving tables, which is what those seven men were called on to do, was not beneath Philip. Because God puts a premium on a servant's heart. When the elders meet with the people who want to be uh, publicly identified with the believers here at Claremont, the one thing that we kind of key in on and we notice is, is that the reason why that person wants to come to Claremont is it because they want to serve or to be served? You know, if they say, well, I want to come to Claremont because, man, I think you, you know, you you can do this for me and this for my kids or this. And that's, that's, that's okay. That's, that's okay. But when they come to, uh, when they say, you know what, we just want to see where we can help out here. I'm going, yeah, <laughs> that's the great attitude. Um, you know, as, as Boyd Nicholson used to say, there are very few people who are fighting to get to the bottom because there's plenty of room down there to get down to being a servant. And so Rex Trogdon said, you know when you are a servant, when people start treating you like one. And Boyd Nicholson uh, corrected him. He says, it's, he says, it's not when uh, you know you're a servant when people treat you like one but how you respond when people treat you like a servant. 
and that's important. Well, our greatest example, of course, is the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Lord Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So when we first read here, we find out that there's murmuring in chapter 6 of, of Acts. There's murmuring amongst the saints because the Hellenists, which are Greek-speaking Jews, uh, felt that their widows were being shortchanged in the distribution of, the, of goods. And so the apostle directed the saints to look amongst themselves for men who were, now this is where I, got, I really got uh, interested in. The first thing that is mentioned, he says, I, they said that we want you to look for men who are first of honest report and then full of the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost and wisdom whom they can, the apostles can appoint over this ministry. And you know, you can't be full of the Holy Ghost and not have an honest report. Again, you can't be full of the Holy Ghost and not have an honest report. See, there's, there's a lot of individuals out there that, have, that know a lot about Scripture. They know way more Scripture than hardly anybody. And, but there is, as my mom would always say, they're as crooked as a dog's hind leg. <laughs> anybody heard that term before? As crooked as a dog's hind leg. I don't know if you ever take a look at a dog. <laughs> oh, but they, they know Scripture. Oh, they can quote it, boom, 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 boom but their life doesn't match up. In, um, so what is, and, and of course this spoke to myself, what is my and your reputation in your family, in your community, your job site, or amongst other believers? Do you have, do I have a good report? That's important. So, Philip, now remember, Philip was not one of the apostles, okay? And uh, it's mentioned, uh, Philip is mentioned here, <clears throat> actually in Acts 21, verse 8, as um, he's the only one in Scripture that's mentioned uh, uh, as being an evangelist. Now, what is an evangelist? Evangelist is someone who spreads good news. That's what evangelism literally means to spread the good news yesterday I was at Home Depot and I was in there I mean it's just around the corner from my house I mean I they I walk in they hey Dave <laughs> I go there so often maybe three four times a day uh, <clears throat> anyways and I was getting in line to uh, to check out self-check and this man comes up to me and his wife and they said uh, Hey, you want a Gospel of John? I've never had that happen inside a store. I mean, outside, yeah. But I said, oh, I said, hey, I'm a believer. Thank you so much. Uh, but, you know, go ahead. I, I, you know, he said, well, here, take it and give it to someone else that needs it. That's an evangelist. You know, it was, and he did it so kindly and so gently. I mean, it's just like, here, here, this is a Gospel of John. 
And uh, we found out that <clears throat> one of our gospel tracks that we used a lot at the street fair here, the Village Venture, because Claremont, it seems like everybody has an animal, a pet. And uh, they all bring their dogs down there. And of course, we had a little bowl of water for their dogs to drink. And as they came over, then I gave them a gospel tract that had a picture of a little boy uh, hugging his, uh, his uh, yellow lab. And of course, it's a story about you know him, the lab running away, and the boy finding the lab back at uh, the rescue uh, place, uh, the dog pound, and he had to go and empty his savings to get his dog back. And it gives the gospel how that we were lost because of sin, and how the Lord bought us back. And I, I said, oh, here's a great story about a boy and his love for the, his dog. And it, and it reminds us of God's love for us. They all, I've never had one person turn that away. And these are Claremont people, you know? Claremont people are a little bit different. You know, I, I, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the fact is that uh, they, they would take this and, um, you know, pray that they'll, they'll read it. I, did, I, I gave one of those to a lady that I sat next to on an airplane. And uh, she, was, uh, she was an attorney, and she was doing all this kind of paperwork. And we just got started talking and, and uh, talking. You know, I was telling about my brother who raises labs. And she says, oh, we've got dogs too. And I said, oh, you know, I had my briefcase, and I gave her one of these. I said, oh, you need to read this, and told her the same thing. She says, oh, my kids will love this. She didn't even know what it said. But, you know, so we need to, we need to give out God's word. Because the Bible tells us, he promises us that his word will not return void. Okay, so uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's take a look at that real quick. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. And this is Paul talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, there's been some different opinions about what, that, what Paul is trying to say in that verse. Number one, some believe that Paul was telling, you know, that Timothy wasn't actually an evangelist. And then there's others that think that, uh, that Timothy did not have the gift of evangelism because he, you know, because he was a pastor teacher, but that this should not prevent him from preaching the gospel when the, the occasion arose. But whatever the case may be, Paul is telling not only Timothy, but also us that we should be proclaiming the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone, every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. And so the question might be, well, what is, what does it mean to be sanctified? What, you know, when it says sanctify the Lord God in your heart, what does that mean? Well, it means to make God, make God sovereign of your life. All that we do and say 
should be in his will for his pleasure and for his glory. The lordship of Christ should dominate our lives, our possessions, our occupation, our family, our spare time. Nothing should be excluded. That's what it means to sanctify, to make it holy. This leads to a holy boldness and inspires us to be a witness of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, sharing Christ. Remember, sharing Christ is a privilege. It's a privilege. It's not a, uh, a grudge, something, oh, I got to do it. It's a privilege. You're telling people how to be saved from the worst disease known to man. The worst disease known to man is not cancer. The worst disease known to man is sin. And we have the 100% cure for sin right here. And people are dying and spending the rest of eternity in hell because of sin. We need to warn them. Well, Philip was a pioneer in the gospel. He was the first missionary abroad. He had no Jewish prejudice restraining him because where did he go? He went to Samaria and the Jews didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. He was sensitive to God's leading even when it was unexpected because he was directed away from a very fruitful ministry there in Samaria to where? To go to the desert to talk to one person. Now we would think People are getting saved in this community. And then the Lord wants you to go and talk to one individual far, far away. You're saying, Lord, come on. I, I mean, things are going great here. But Philip had, didn't even hesitate. He went. His message, or he had a, <clears throat> he was effective with large crowds as well as individuals. And he had a good grasp of scripture. And his message centered on Christ. Now, when he talked to this um, Ethiopian eunuch out in the desert in Gaza, he started in Isaiah because he had a scroll of Isaiah. He was in Isaiah 53. And Philip was able to start from there and preach Christ to him. And this really hit me. Do I know how to lead someone to the Lord using only the Old Testament? Have you ever thought of that? Could you lead someone to the Lord by just using the Old Testament? Oh, New Testament. Got it. Romans Road. Romans 3.10, 3.23, 6.23, and 10. I mean, we got that down. 5.8. We got all those. But can we lead someone to the Lord only using the Old Testament? You know, I heard the story, and I maybe Bill was on that, that one in, in Israel with Jabe, where uh, it might have been that time, I'm not sure, but there was uh, a time that Jabe was saying that um, they were eating at a restaurant and this lady came over to Jabe's group and uh, she said, can I, can I talk to you? And uh, so Jabe sat down with me. She says, you, your group is different than all the other groups I've, I've seen. She was a doctor, uh, this lady. 
a Jewish doctor. And she says, what, why are you guys so different? Well, Jabe was able to only use the Old Testament to share with her who the real Messiah is. And that was something that we need to really consider ourselves. Okay, let's kind of move on here. Um, Philip, after leaving the Ethiopian eunuch, continued to minister Christ in the towns going up the coast and eventually ending in Caesarea. That's, that's where his home base was. 20 years later, 20 years later, let's take a look at Acts chapter 21. Acts 21 And verse, at verse 8, starting at verse 8. And the next day, we, that is Paul, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. This hit me right between the eyes too. Because he used his home for Christ. Now, there's a lot of Christians that have some really, really nice homes. Real nice homes. The question is, and they're very comfortable. <laughs> the question is, are we using our homes to minister to God's saints. Philip did. He took care of not only Paul, but all those that were with him in his home. Hospitality, we won't have time for. I wanted to turn to Genesis chapter 18 because that is a tremendous um, example of hospitality. And uh, that's in Abraham. And so, do we use the things that God has given us for his glory, or do we selfishly hoard them for some personal reason? But the thing that I also want to talk about is the, um, the fact that he, uh, his family life. So we know that he was a, a man of hospitality, but he had four dollars, daughters that prophesied. You know, I can't think of a greater blessing than to have children that not only know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but to have them sharing God's word and being a witness to others. Because that's what these girls did. They prophesied. They told other people about Christ. I would rather be blessed with children who love and want to serve the Lord, and I mean this with all my heart, than to be the richest person on the face of this earth. Again, I would much rather have my children be ones that love the Lord and want to serve him than to be the richest person on the face of this earth. Nothing's more important to me. 
than seeing my kids and my grandkids come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's just the beginning. I want to see them grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see them sharing. I mean, we're seeing that with, with our young people here at this chapel. What a, what a tremendous blessing that is. Seeing them bring their friends out to snow or to Awana or to Brigade or to TNT or to Yosemite so that they can hear the gospel and get saved. So, Philip had daughters that shared his faith and commitment to serve. May God grant to each of us a similar blessing that we may follow Philip in his total service in every part of his life. And then just finally, don't have enough time, but we'll just touch on it. Uh, chapter 9. Let's turn to chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And we'll start at verse 36. Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber, and, and for as much as Lida was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth, and kneeling down, and prayed. And turning to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand. And lifted her up. And when he had called to the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a Tanner. She is one of three people in the New Testament that's described as a certain disciple. The other one is, there's one other in this chapter, chapter 9, and that's Ananias of Damascus. He was also described or had the moniker of a certain disciple. The third person that's listed as a certain disciple is in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, that's Timothy. So the term is not restricted just to men. All of God's people are called to be followers of Christ. And, to be, and uh, all are to be followers, but for some it meant going afar, like Philip, all the way up to Samaria. And others, like Dorcas, it means staying where you are. Each of the certain disciples in Acts chapter 9 did their greatest work in their hometown. And so Dorcas is known for her good, wor good works and alms deeds. 
I first looked at that word, what in the world is alms deeds? Alms deeds are just simply charitable acts or acts of compassion. This woman was full of it, full of good works and charitable action. She was a seamstress. And her work done amongst the people there brought many uh, of the poor widows that basically had nothing. I mean, to be a widow in this day and age was, unless you had some children that could support you, uh, it, was, it was tough. And so um, Paul emphasized to Titus in, in Titus 1.12 and 3.8, that we should teach the Christians, uh, that, that he should teach the Christians in Crete to maintain good works. So to maintain good works means that you at least had good works to begin with. We're not saved by good works, we know that. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not by good works. And so how about us as we close here? How big of a void would you and I leave if God uh, suddenly took us away? See, when, when the Lord took away Dorcas, it left a huge void and it just upset so many people because her good works were so appreciated. What is your legacy? What's my legacy here at Claremont in this assembly? What would be written on our gravestone? Oh, this person told really good jokes. <laughs> or uh, this person dressed really nice. This person had a really neat car. Is that what they would say? Or would they say, this person is going to be hugely missed, their ministry? This speaks to all of us. Here's Philip, a person that served tables before he went out to the mission field. Remember that. He served tables before he went out. And he saw tremendous blessings amongst the people of Samaria and also individuals. Dorcas, oh, she was so sorely missed because of her good works. And what, did the, what was the result of her life after she came back to, was brought back to life by, um, by Peter was that many believed how many people come to know the Lord because of our testimony? Really speaks to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Acts. We thank you for the people that uh, in it, people like Philip, that saw a tremendous blessing not only in Samaria, but then out in the desert with a single individual and no doubt, Father, through that one individual, the gospel was spread throughout all of North Africa. Father, we also think of Dorcas, 
who for most people would seem like she kind of flew under the radar, but yet because of her good works, that's what she was known for. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here today that we will be known for people that uh, for our good works. But yet, Father, we know that good works are the result of salvation, not as uh, not unto salvation. But Father, I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here this this morning that hasn't come to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they they haven't admitted to you that they're a sinner, that they uh, that they're lost, and that that Father, they need to be saved from their the uh, the penalty of their sin. I pray, Father, that they would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us that have accepted Christ, we pray that we'll be known for our good works. Father, we just uh, commend ourselves to you, ask that your word will not return void. Anything, Father, anything that was said this morning of the energy of the flesh, I pray, please, Father, wipe it from our memory. But those things, Father, that are of your spirit, we pray that it will speak to our hearts. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.